0: at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf.
1: Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're talking about thriving during a crisis, perspectives from a successful Middle East businesswoman. So with us on the show today is Eileen Kamakian, Eileen began her career as an insurance broker at the age of 18 to put herself through college. She graduated with a double major in master's in finance and marketing. Eileen's skills as an insurance broker allowed her to build one of Lebanon's top nine brokerage firms. And although she was successful as a broker, she never forgot her love of food, but most importantly, she never forgot her love of her Armenian roots. So she's going to tell you about her journey in opening a restaurant, Eileen was also voted Woman Entrepreneur of the Year in the Brilliant Lebanese Awards. She's a board member of the Lebanese Franchise Association, as well as a board member of the Lebanese League of Women in Business, and a successful candidate of the 2014 Vital Voices Fellowship Program. So thriving during a crisis is a challenging feat for any leader. Today, Eileen shares with our listeners not only how she encountered the difficult decisions that many faced in the hospitality industry due to the pandemic, she was also forced to deal with the destruction of one of her restaurants during the massive blast that occurred in Beirut, Lebanon in August of 2020. Eileen joins the show to share her story, how she adapted to the crisis, how her business endured, and advice for leaders that she's gleaned from her experience. Aileen, can you start with a little bit of your story about how you leveraged your Armenian roots and opened your first restaurant? Thank you, Maureen. I was 17 when I lost my father. Being living in the Middle East, the love of
2: my mother was to push me to get married, to save me. You know, this is the mentality of things. And I ran out of the house. And I made a point that I will not come back until you stop making me marry. And I started to sell insurance to be able to pay my university. And this is how I started because it was a part-time job and I had the time to be able to go to my university. This is how I started to sell insurance. And from this point, selling insurance, I made my brokerage firm. But I always had the dream of my father. My father used to dream to open a small restaurant to introduce the Armenian culinary heritage to his friends and surroundings. Every time on Sundays, we used to cook together with my father. So this dream, it was in me. And I vowed someday to open a restaurant. But I never thought that I will be personally opening a restaurant. I thought that I will be a partnership. I will go to a partner with someone. In 2003, I found a location and I said, this is it. I'm going to build the restaurants here. And this is how I started the Armenian restaurant. I put Mayrig as a name. Mayrig means mother, because I learned from the skill from my mother, and it's the dream of my father. So this is how Mayrig started in 2003. It was like a small restaurant. I said, I will make it maybe or not. And today, after 19 years, we are the leading Armenian restaurant. We have franchising in KSA, in Armenia, in Maldives with Four Seasons, and we're looking forward to open other locations. A dream of my father, the skills of my mother, and the stubbornness of mine made this restaurant
1: <laughs> come to uh, to reality. Oh, it's just a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing more of your journey for listeners to help understand, one, how you got here. But so often, especially for younger listeners, when we hear of other people's success stories, we don't understand the challenges they face to get here. So would you share with our listeners one or two of the challenges? And then we'll also move into what was it like to run a business in the 1990s in the Middle East as a woman?
2: First of all, when I started, so it was 87, 1987, when I started to sell insurance. In Middle East, when a woman sells something, that means she's selling herself, whatever she's selling. So my job... To sell to usually the men, you know, the business owners and everything. So I was all too exposed or more for men. So every business meeting, almost everyone, was also as sexual harassment. You know, you had to defend yourself or like do in a way to remove that part, be professional. I'm not a, personally, I'm not very sexy uh, person. I'm very tomboy a little bit. So regardless, it was one of the, my major challenge was every time that I was suggesting to someone for the insurance, everything was turned to sex. This is my main challenge, one of my main challenges. Second, starting at 18 years old, no one took you for serious. You're young and especially insurance. Insurance is something very serious, very financial. You had to prove yourself that you're serious about it. This is from the insurance part. From the restaurant part, Being a woman again, in 2003, after so many years of experience in insurance, being a broker, you don't have a fixed salary. So automatically, you cannot take a loan to start your business because you don't have a fixed income, fixed salary. Plus, living in Lebanon, as a woman, you cannot take a loan. You have to either your father or your husband or your brother sign your loans. Otherwise, you as a woman, you don't exist. So to be able to do that, since my father was was not here, I'm not married, my brother was not in Lebanon. So I brought in my cousin, whom after 17 years, he kind of stabbed me at the bank and uh, wanted to get out with the maximum. So to have just a man to sign with you for the loan, to be able to take that, and you do all the work, and then take it away from you. So this is another one. And like these are major three that comes out of my mind that I can share with you. Each one, of course, took from your life three, four years of struggling to be able to overcome. Nowadays, to tell you that there is a difference between women and men in my shoes today, no. Because I I passed, I pushed men to kind of see me as a business person, not a woman or man. This is now at 52. Okay, I started at 18, so you have to build this and you have to uh, overcome this.
1: Yeah, I would say, as a woman, even in the US, I've had struggles and it seems better, but I again I'm also in my 50s, so it's going to be a different encounter now than it was in our teens and 20s. The sexualization, especially as a young businesswoman in a Middle Eastern culture. How did you build your business and combat the sexualization early on? Because again, I assume we have young women listening who are still encountering these challenges. Back then, talking about
2: it was a taboo. You couldn't Mm -hmm. come and tell your boss that this is what's happening. So what I did automatically was I was dressing very tomboy, extreme tomboy dressed. And the second part was that when I used to explain the insurance and they turned it to another subject, I used to go with them with the subject, talked about it, make a joke out of it and put it as if it's a third person and come back and say, now that we finalized that issue, let's come back to here. Or the second point that I used to do a lot is I used to ask the meeting with their wife with me, especially when I used to sell the life insurance. I, told, I used to tell them that I want your wife to know and to share that experience so that she knows what's the best for her. And this really was very important because from the beginning, I used to stream who's a serious, interested in insurance or not. So this was also one of my ways. But taking the conversation and joking about it and talking as if men to men talking used to help me up to go out of this circle. And a lot of them I lost. One, uh, one, I remember very well, one told me he was very pissed at the end. He said, tonight, you come to my place and we sign the contract. I said, perfect. We'll see your wife also. He said, my wife is not here. He said, if your wife is not here, let's go to a restaurant or to your office and do it. She told me, you don't want to mix work with pleasure. So for me here, it was, I knew that it was here, the end, no more <laughs> contract. So I was really pissed. And I told him, if you call yourself pleasure, I'm sorry, but you're not even near <laughs> that. So it was like, for me, it was go ahead go to hell. You know, like, get away from me. You, you lose a lot of clients. You lose a lot, but you gain a lot of respect. You gain a lot of serious people that share your name from one to another. But it takes time. It takes really time and perseverance to 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 arrive there because you have, especially when you are, broker. There is no time. There is no office. You don't go to a place. You're alone.
1: Mm -hmm. You have to face your ups and downs every day. So for people now working from home with COVID, for people who have the luxury of working from home, because I know many people don't, the sense of isolation for some people is really challenging. How did you stay positive and stay focused on the times when you were more isolated?
2: You have to be really self-structured. Mm-hmm. Like even you don't have an office or something, eight o'clock you have to be up, dressed up. Sports, at five o'clock I will do my sport, for example, at something. You have to be structured and motivate yourself because it's very easy. The eight can be 8.15, 8.20, 8.30, and the second day nine, and then the longer you are, not awake, the worst situation you are in. You have to be psychologic, psychological in the safety net because it's really dif- differentiated for the thriving leader. You know, like It's a very strong point to be self-structured. One thing that used to help me a lot is I had a dog. I had a Labrador that at 7, 7.30, she wanted to walk. So automatically you have to go up and walk your dog. So this also helped me to be organized that at five o'clock I have to be home, I have to take her down and everything. So these things gives you structure, give you self-satisfaction. And this is where I used to really help
1: myself to go positive on everything, you know? For me, the, as you say, the pet thing, I have a Pitbull that was a rescue dog and she is a lifesaver on so many levels. She wants up in the morning, but also the sense of loneliness isn't the same with sharing a house with another being who's always happy to see me. She just doesn't happy. seem to get mad at me.
2: Yeah, you're happy, she's happy. You're crying, she comes and, uh, you know, it's very important, you know, playing with a, a pet, cuddling the pet is like taking me out of you. The negativity goes out of you. Now I have two big dogs. During COVID, it's one of my saviors. It's very important. Even if you are, have a family at home, having a pet for me, it's something very
1: positive. It's different than a partner. Yeah, <laughs> a partner is very good thing. But partner also has the down and up. But the dog, they never had the down. Yeah. So how has COVID impacted your business this year? Well, in Lebanon, let me give you what happened in Lebanon. In October
2: 2019, a revolution started in Lebanon already we were in a very bad shape financially talking and everything so the revolution started we had our money is stuck in the bank you cannot withdraw your money okay inflation is up 50% of the population is jobless 50% uh, before covid before wow. covid because the revolution when the revolution started and the banks closed so a lot of companies closed you cannot send money outside. You cannot import stuff. Lebanon is basically an importer company. You don't have anything in the industry inside. Lebanon is a, a, continuing, a continuing industry. It's not a, a from scratch. Okay, so plastic is important. Iron is important. glass is important. All the medicines are important. important. So all the country is made basically on tourism, services, and banking sectors. Today, the banking sector is gone. So this was before COVID. And then COVID came in. So the industry was already shaking. What we've done is diminish the size and hold on your employees. Then the, when the COVID came and we closed uh, half of the time, especially a restaurant, we started to do delivery, home delivery. But in Lebanon, unfortunately, we don't have a clever government which we don't even have a government right now. The COVID was something like at six o'clock, we close everything, not even delivery. 90% of the deliveries are at eight thirty nine 9.00 p.m. No one delivers home at 6.30 in the morning or in the, the afternoon. So you don't have this. So I create, we created the frozen food. We started to do the distribution through the grab and go, through this mini markets and stuff. So we created this to be able to survive with the coverage we created an app on the whatsapp so we can deliver you choose what you want and we can deliver i started cooking from home and do an app from it and use my stuff or my restaurant accessory to show how you can use this thing with different recipes so we started to do as everyone through instagram through facebook this is what we've done through that And top of this august 4 came in I don't know, I'm sure you know about it. It's the third world biggest non-nuclear explosion that happened in the middle, in the center of Beirut. I was 350 meters, my office is 350 meters away from it. I saw a fire, I got up, and I was filming when the big explosion happened. I lost my hearing, I can't hear from my right. I broke three ribs, my knee is broken. This is me. We had a management meeting. My whole management team is just, All of them are uh, lost their senses. I mean, my financial controller is one eye, 100% blind. The second eye is, he can see only 30%. My operation manager is deaf and he cannot move his right hand. My accountant is, uh, he cannot move his hands. My assistant is uh, half paralyzed from the left side. I have an assistant manager who is half blind. I'm sorry to tell you all this. So when the bomb happened, I was with my management in the office. I was the only one who were the best of them. You know, I was better than them. So I had to do my first aid to my financial controller, carrying three floors down when you have all the debris, all the glasses, all the aluminum on the stairs. When I arrived down on the street and I saw the street, I I, I thought there's an apocalypse happening. Everything was doomed, you know, like the trees were upside down, cars were upside down, half of the building down, everybody is in blood, everybody is running. There is no car to go to hospital, you know. We are surrounded by major three hospitals. They were telling to each other that there is no more hospital. Everything was bombed. We didn't know what was happening. We didn't have the luxury or a second to ask ourselves what happened. We just run and try to save whoever was around you. So I tried to save my five team from the management. When I came down to the restaurant, I had also there uh, wounded personnel and clientele. So we were 25 personnel to go to the hospitals. All the restaurant office and my house were gone. I am 54, 52 years old. I've worked all my life and I have nothing left. Nothing in three seconds. Everything is gone. On the spot, you cannot ask what happened? On the spot, all you can do is just to stay alive. You are, think yourself in a big storm. Your only goal is to stay alive. How? I don't know. Just stay alive. We were like covering each other. Every, my, my financial controller was bleeding from everywhere. I took off his shirt. I was giving his first aid. I was just covering and wrapping his hand, feet, whatever, wherever the blood was coming out when I brought him down I didn't find any car and everything I find people coming from motorcycles I grabbed one and I hold my financial controls on him with a t-shirt and I begged him just take him to the hospital and this is how we sent 25 person to hospital and then you have to go and search them in the hospitals the hospitals were a river of blood you know Uh, the parking of the hospitals were people like everybody is there Imagine that a huge bomb in the middle of the center of a country, the center, not in a mountain where there's no one, in the center of the country. When I went to my restaurant, the, the half of my personnel who were, all of them injured were looking at my eyes as if they wanted to hear something. They want to, to, to hear that something. They want me to tell something. I didn't know what to tell them. I was looking at them and I, all I could tell them, don't worry, we're okay. We're alive. Let's help each other. Are you okay? You, where are you hurt? You are okay. You are okay. You take care of this one. You take care of this one. You know, we were doing this. You cannot walk. I carry you. There was a broken door. I took my accountant on it. We hold him until we find another motorcycle to grab him on. And luckily, my other part of team that were off that day, they started to come to run to the restaurant. So they were the one who took us to the hospitals also. They teach you in university about crisis management, okay? They tell you that you should write and you should have a system to follow when crisis happens. I dare or I bet anyone not even thought about this. Imagine you are at the office talking about strategy, what we will do with this pandemic, and what's the next step, and 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 suddenly you're blown up. You don't have anything else, okay. So first is stay alive. Take your team to the hospital. That's the first thing you do automatically. The second, find your team in the hospital <laughs> because you don't know where they are, and see if anything if anyone wants them. Give information to their parents because everybody is running to the restaurant. What happened? You have to calm the parents and find them. Until 4.30 a.m., 6 o'clock, 6 p.m., the explosion happened. Until 4.30 a.m., I was running into hospitals. I was just making sure that all my team were in the hospitals. The rest, who were not injured, I asked them to just try to close the gas of the restaurant, do water of the restaurant, to diminish the risk of expanding the the case of the restaurant. And once everything was on it, I called my contractor and I told him, come down, we need to rebuild. Why to rebuild such a place? Why do I, I thought about it. I'm a Lebanese, I've been in war, okay? Every time is the same thing. We have, I know I don't have a government. I know no one will ask about me. I know no one will help me. So if I don't help myself, I cannot help my team. And with the struggle that we are doing, with everything that is happening today, with the COVID, with the revolution, with the banking sector that took their money, if I don't make sure that I have sustainability with my team and I can pay their salaries, I know that 65 families will go home. Those teams, those people were, were working with me since 18 years now. This is the major responsibility. And after talking to my contractor at 4.35 AM, I arrived home. I took a shower and I asked what happened. Because then, uh, by the way, uh, when I blown up, I lost my phone. I lost my ID. I lost my computer. I lost my office. I'm no one. Literally, I am no I don't have anything. Neither passport, neither ID, neither computer, neither telephone. So everybody was looking at me. And on my financial controller, the, the telephone of my financial controller, my partner called and I took it. I said, I'm okay. Julien is not good. Julian is my financial controller. I'll call you when I can. I don't have a phone. Just don't ask about me right now. And that was all the information I could give until I, I went. Actually, I didn't went to my home because my home also was gone. I went to my parents' home, which is a little bit far from it. This is a major crisis. This is a human mistake, Christ. It's not a natural, it's, it's not an earthquake, it's not a hurricane, it's not something. It's the stupidity and the dirty government that made us arrive here. So you have extreme anger, and whether you want it or not, you don't have the luxury of doing a depression, nor cry, nor ask what happened, nor wait to someone to solve something. You just need to go on. So for me, in this, if I want to summarize for me what happened in this, for me being transparent with my team, telling my fear, telling I don't know, telling I don't have an answer, admitting that I don't know, asking about them is one very important point with the crisis that I want, with the moment that we were went. This is, during the the months after the explosion. Acting urgently, despite the minimal information that I had, whether it was taking care to the hospital or starting the reconstruction thing, it was really important because it gave kind of security to my team. That, okay, we're rebuilding. Let me take care of myself. Let me take care of my family. Okay, I know that I will have job, Because let me tell you that 25 people were hospital, 30 of my employees lost their homes because all of us, we live near to each other, you know, near to your work. So everyone lost their home. I had to also be next to them because of the dollar and the inflation and everything is happening in the market. None of them can rebuild their houses. None of them because of the situation. So I also, one thing, it was very important because I didn't have my management team because my management team was the most hurt. Financial controller is still not coming to work. We are more than 100 days now after the explosion. My financial cannot and will not for another year until he has so many operations to go through my operation manager, he just started last week. My two accountants were not here also. So my assistant is half paralyzed. So I didn't have a management. I only have a leftover of, let's say, a blue collar. So I had to share power with them. I had to empower each one of them to be able for me to continue. And with everything we were going through, we started to cook for ourselves to clean the restaurant. And then some volunteers started to come to help us to clean the restaurant. So we had to feed them. And the, uh, the second day, more volunteers came. So we started to cook from the other restaurant hot meals. And then a lot of people surrounding us, looking at us, and they were, didn't have any house nor food. So we started to cook for them. And I arrived to cook 2,500 meal per day and distributed to the surrounding. Little that we know that this action that we started naturally, it was our therapy. Because cooking for the others, distributing food, seeing people smiling when you give them a hot meal, coming and thanking you and hugging you, it was our therapy. And working together, talking about it, crying, laughing, Every time saying, you were here, I was there, no, you were here, you know, like this talk when you are in the group, that everyone passed through it, you need to talk about it. You need to tell it. So this, this also, it was, for us, it was another way of standing up, telling people that we are here. We are broken. We are wounded. We are hurt, but we are here for you. So we are here together. And I guess this also comes from your goals, your values. If you follow your values and you are still there, somehow, somewhere, it shows. I mean, like sharing the food, distributing the food, being together, keeping the culture, being for each other. For me, most important is my team. And as long as my team were okay, I'm okay. And everything that I've done, it was just to keep for them the dignity of salary and the dignity of having a work. Because nowadays here, keeping a work is like, as if you're like, it's the only thing that is matters just to stay alive and keep your work. So you cannot anticipate this. You cannot prevent this. You only can be res- responding or adapting or being flexible or just allow, allow the adaptability, allow, allow yourself mistake, allow yourself asking, allow yourself asking for help. It's one of the most difficult thing to ask for help. I had people, you know, I'm, I'm an angel investor, basically. But today, people are helping me with finance, with everything. It was very difficult for me to accept but I couldn't not to accept because I cannot help my team if I don't help myself. If I don't allow these people to help me, I cannot be for my team. I, I, I cannot help them. So how to remain resilient, flexible, in increasingly unstable, unpredictable times, I think this is this makes a difference. Sorry for I I go, I, I carried emotionally, you know, like this is Today, the team and the first day that we opened, we were the restaurant that was most hit, most broken. After 30 days, we opened only the terrace. You know, you have to do also uh, this is emergency, this is less emergency, This is, you have to divide your priorities. And I opened only the terrace. And the first day I opened, I personally cook and serve for my 25 team that wounded. And I told them that what we're doing today, it's for them because of them, thanks to them and everything. And it was for me the most valuable dinner that I ever had. People who lost their senses, who gave their everything to to our restaurant. Unfortunately, we don't have a government. I don't know what to do with five major employees that are disabled. I cannot fire them. I have to pay their salaries. But as a business, I need also someone to help me to be able to have another financial controller because I need I cannot work in a blind situation. I need to help myself to to help my business to to be able to sustain.
1: Eileen, thank you for sharing with our listeners and with me your are- heart-wrenching story. We're going to go on break for just a second, and we will be right back.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 472 5790. Or send an email to info at innovative Now, back to this week's program. Welcome
1: back to Eileen. And we are talking about the impact of the 2020 bombing in Lebanon on her business, on her life, on all of the people who work for her and all of the people injured during this incredible crisis, during this bombing and the impact that has destroyed lives and livelihoods and families unnecessarily. So Eileen, what would you like our listeners to do after they listen to this show?
2: First of all, I would like to tell my, if I may, life is too short, enjoy, and don't be, don't be attached to materials. Because honestly speaking, we were lucky to be alive. We lost a lot of senses, but we are alive. And being surrounded by people who love each other helped us to be able to continue our lives. My friends created the crowdfunding, and this is what saved us. The operation of the eyes, the apartments of the employees, the rebuilding of the restaurant, is all through this crowdfunding. And today, I'm keeping five management, five managerial position that are, they cannot do their jobs, but I cannot, as a person, fire them. Although the company needs the job to work with the hope that they will be better but this is what I'm doing with the crowdfunding you can share the crowdfunding at get myre crowdfunding either on my Instagram Alinka Kamakian or myre Instagram instead Myre you, you can find the crowdfunding for myre if you can share if you can share our story maybe we can diminish the possibility of another
1: corrupted government to do the same thing thank you so because i haven't done much with crowdfunding is there a website someone would go to to donate how does that work Uh, yes uh, there is a website the crowdfunding you can find
2: my week and if you if you type my week you can find it i can
1: send you the share also if you can put it on the podcast it would be easier sure so it is m-a-y-r-i-g okay yes I will happily donate and I trust that others will as well. Being urgently active about it, would also say it was my
2: friend's idea because they told me it's the only way we can help you. We are not in Lebanon. We cannot come and help you. We can create this fund. And it was the best thing they've done because in Lebanon, as I said, you can the, the banks are closed. You don't have cash. So unless you're transferring fresh money, Mm -hmm. This is the only thing that you can withdraw. And this is how they help. And this is why I'm saying having friends, having suppliers that trust you is the most powerful tool that you have
1: to survive. It's, again, I'm struggling for words, which is not typical of me. It's just heartbreaking that this would be preventable. And in the year 2020, when we're not supposed to have this kind of crisis, when our governments are supposed to be competent, and yet the breakdown, whether it's self-serving politicians or corruption or poor systems. Listen,
2: I'm, I'm a Lebanese from Armenian origin. We had the revolution, the COVID, the explosion in Lebanon, and now lately we have the war on Armenia Azerbaijan, Turkey, and everybody. I'm not understanding on the year 2020, where is our humanitarian, where is our humanity, where is our UN, where is our NATO, where is our government? How can you leave such countries to kill others? How can you leave such a corrupted country to explode in the middle of the center of a country? I thought that when the genocide, the Armenian genocide happened in 1915, there was no internet, there was no TV, no one knew about it. And this is how the Turkish government uh, did it. Today, live was, we're watching on the internet and no one is saying a word, no one is moving. So money, petrol,
1: ego, I don't know what to say, but honestly, it's disgusting. <laughs> I wish there was a call to action I could even clearly articulate other than support the precious humans who are impacted. And you're a beautiful role model of that. And I invite, ask, implore our listeners both to support you and to support each other that we are all seeing epic breakdowns around us. We're seeing record rates of death by overdose, things that are preventable. It may not be preventable to to die of cancer at this point, but it is preventable to have a bomb explode in the middle of a city. It's preventable to have people who are dying because they are not supported like you have supported your employees. With everything that's happened, you're just a beautiful role model for what's possible and what's required at this point in history? You know,
2: we, we all have mothers. We are all mothers. We all have family. What I don't understand this hatred because my, me, myself, if I hate or I'm angry at or something, my energy is down. With love, with respect, I can do much more. So really and like i hope we just support each other and be there for
1: each other nothing is worth it thank you it is a beautiful call to action and again your example is is something to be lifted up and really shared and i will do my best to make that happen
2: thank you for everything thank you for hosting me thank you for listening to me you are giving us a chance so that our voice is heard. Because without you, our voice stays the same place and we cannot continue. It's thanks to you and people like you that I can continue.
1: I really appreciate you sharing your
2: story. And I would love to write about it because I want people not to do the same mistake. Sharing is diminishing the level of mistakes. For me, I, what I believe is that it's my duty to inform, my duty to share, and not to stay silent.
1: I agree. Because there are all of the, I'm assuming, hundreds of thousands of personal stories, and there is a systemic issue that needs to be addressed. And to your point, the, the UN, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, that, that we are not being anywhere near our best selves right now. Thank you very much.
2: I really, really thank you. I really thank you.
1: Take care. Listeners, thank you for joining us. As you are facing changes in your world, we encourage you to think about listening, listening to our people, not as a to-do list item, but truly being present. Folks are trying to hold it together and sometimes they're not doing so well. And we as leaders will have an opportunity to support our people in the ways that we don't typically. So thank you for listening. We encourage your feedback. Connect with me on LinkedIn as Maureen Metcalf or the Innovative Leadership Institute. Like us on iTunes or Voice America. And you can also email me at info at innovateleader.com. I welcome your suggestions and your input.